Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Here's the first one that's jumped in. Uh, Kids. Kids with good works, right? Do you want your kids to have good works? Do we want kids to have good works? Absolutely. But imagine a scenario where there's a kid who's trying to do his best in hopes that you'll adopt him. And he just keeps doing everything he can in hopes that you'll somehow, your heart will be stirred and he'll earn your approval enough to adopt him versus a kid who's been adopted and is now walking in line with this new family. It's works from the inside out versus the outside in. It's a very different motivation. One is motivated ultimately by fear and the desire for approval. The other is motivated from what the approval he already has or she already has, right? Would you rather have a building held up, talk about good works, let's talk about a building being held up. Would you rather see a building held up because of external scaffolding or a building held up because of its internal architectural integrity, the keystone, right? What, the building's held up either way, what do you want? No, you'd say it's very different. The external scaffolding is legalism and that's what's trying to hold things together. The internal architectural integrity is living by the spirit. You're both held up. You're both doing good works. But can't you see the motivation's radically different? What about this one? Your bike is staying upright. What's the diff? Training wheels or an internal sense of balance. Either way, the training wheels are like the scaffolding of the law, right? It's external legalism. Stay, Stay in line. Do good works. It's motivated by training wheels. But eventually, don't you want those training wheels to come off? So that, isn't it better? Isn't it better to ride with an internal sense of balance? Now, either way, you're not going to fall. But being life by the Spirit is from the inside out. Or what? Use the illustration of producing fruit. I guess theoretically, with as smart as you know, scientists are, we could uh, potentially produce a fruit. I mean, you could have two oranges that are, I guess, molecularly equivalent. Like we could produce an orange in a lab and synthetically. Not infect the orange, that sounds gross, but synthetically, like, put the orange, put all the nutrients and all the orangey taste. We could synthetically generate an orange. Would you rather have that or an orange that came from, you know, an orange tree? You say, it's both an orange. No, no, they're really different. And I like that illustration the best. We'll stop at that one. I like that illustration the best because that's the one Paul uses just a few chapters from now. He's like, yeah, you could produce works of the law. Like a prisoner doing good deeds for his warden. Yes, robotically, I guess you could do good deeds. Or you could live by the Spirit and you'll just produce good deeds like a tree grows fruit. It'll come from the inside out. And Paul's going, I'm sick and tired of behavior management. Impose enough legalistic rules on these church people and they'll start acting right. Wouldn't it be easier to give them a sense of balance and set them free, right? But to have righteousness come from the inside out. So yeah, good works matter. And and the only way we're ever going to get to good works is if we understand this concept of justification by faith. If we get the gospel, and this is why we're taking six weeks on this, and this is just week two. If we put the gospel deep in our heart, the hope is like a fountain that will produce all the good works this world can handle. See? That gospel's got to sink down deep into us. And even if you've been walking with the Lord a long time, the story today you'll see Paul lays out, you, you too need it. You never outgrow the good news of the gospel. Even, it even happened that one of these apostles struggled with this. So let's get right to that. This, the, we're picking up with part two in Galatians chapter two, verse 11. Let me see if I can. 
Got it. Yes, it is. Okay. The reason I'm looking for this thing is I can put the verses up on screen if you want to follow along that way. If you have your Bibles on your phone, scroll to this scene. If you open up uh, the paper Bible, Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. Okay? <clears throat> Paul tells this story where this very thing happens. Because you may think I'm splitting hairs theologically, but it's of utmost importance. What is the foundation for real good works? This whole justification by faith thing. All right? When Cephas came to Antioch, now Cephas is the Aramaic word for rock. Some of you know the Greek word for rock, Peter. Same thing. Just if you want to translate it from Aramaic or you translate it from Greek, Cephas is Peter, Peter is Cephas. Cool? All right. So when Peter or Cephas, whatever, Rocky, came to Antioch, (laughs) Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Four, and he gives a little backstory. This is a crazy story. He used to, he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when they came, these are these false teachers, the circumcision, he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. Then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. All right, what's going on? Little history. The kosher laws, right? They have to do with Ritual, how you eat, and uncleanliness and all that stuff, right? If you grew up Jewish and then you became a follower of Jesus, then you got these Gentiles who have never had anything to do with kosher law, and then they become followers of Jesus. You can see how it's all cool, but when the Judaizers come in, they're like, ooh, ooh. Like, Gentiles can come in, but they, they, I don't, like, they're not following the law. And I know, I know justification by faith alone. Like, they're made right with God by faith alone, but like... I don't know, like, um, I, I, I don't know. They need to, if they're going to sit down and if we're going to share a table together, they can't, like, unkosher our table because we're, we're saved by faith plus how we follow the law. And you can see how that would be a train wreck in a church. You suddenly have a group of people who feel like second-class Christians, right? So Peter starts falling into this, and he refuses the laws of Moses are so complex, retaining and specific when it, when it comes to purity that they make it impossible to have table fellowship with those not under the law. And so Paul uses an interesting phrase, and I'll just skip ahead and then skip right back. But in verse 14, he uses this phrase, when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel. The Greek word here is more fun than the English. The English translation here is, I saw they were deviating from the truth of the gospel. But the Greek word means, I saw that they weren't straight walking. Orthopodusion. You know, you go to an orthodontist to straighten out your teeth. He's saying the gospel's real logical. If this is true, then that's true. It draws a real straight line. If the only reason any of us have a right to this table is because of what Jesus did and nothing else, ergo... We need to eat together as brothers and sisters. And they weren't, they weren't straight walking on that line of the gospel. Does that make sense? They weren't orthowalk. That's a whole other sermon, by the way, orthowalksy. Because we know orthodoxy, getting the right beliefs. But what about our orthowalksy trademark? Right, James, write this down. Orthowalksy, a 10-part series by Tom and James. So you, you understand? But it's true, right? Isn't that true? I mean, we, we can have all the doctrine in the world and be jerks. What does that mean? Does that mean our doctrine's wrong? No. It means our doctrine has drawn a correct straight line, and we're, we're, we're not orthowalking with what we believe. And that's what he calls them out on. He says they're not orthowalking. They're not straight walking with what they believe. In other words, here's how the gospel works. If, if the Jews are made right before God, not by obeying the kosher law, but by faith in Messiah, and Gentiles are made right before God, 
not, not by following kosher laws, but by faith in Messiah, then it's a brand new ballgame. See? It, it means, that's, by the way, brand new. That's why Jesus at the Last Supper, the, we're going to take this meal in remembrance in just a few minutes. That's why Jesus at the Last Supper doesn't say, this cup, which represents the blood I'm about to shed on the cross, this cup is the cup of the improved covenant. He didn't say this cup is the cup of the slightly modified covenant. He says this is the cup of the new covenant. Brand new. The old is about to be on the cross forever fulfilled. Not abolished. Fulfilled. Because I'm, I'm going to live it perfectly. And I'm going to be crushed under it as if I hadn't for you and your salvation. So it's a new covenant. And if that's true, right, here we go, wait for it. The wheels start turning and, and collect, in the collective early church's mind. Wait a minute, if that's true, then we're rightly related to God because of faith in the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus, not by our adherence or lack of adherence to the Torah. And Paul's going, Peter, 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 you of all people should know that. You not only heard with Jesus' own words. I mean, you saw Jesus speak the words. The air turned red when he spoke them. Like, that's words in red, dude. Get, come on! Like, you of all people heard him say, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, it's what comes out of him. And in saying, Jesus declared all foods clean, you not only heard that, but as if all that weren't enough, then in Acts 10, or 9 and 10, I can't remember, but you remember Peter. You were there when you, you got a special revelation about this. You got a vision where all these unclean foods floated down from heaven. And God himself said, yo, eat up. And you were like, what? I can't. And God was like, how are we related? How are we related? By your observant to kosher law? Hmm? Right? And then you went to a Gentile's house. And you got to watch the Holy Spirit fall on the Gentiles just like you. And they had never done any kosher things. So Peter, you of all people should know that if we get in not by our adherence to the law... Right? And, and Peter had been doing that. That's what broke Paul's heart. He'd been eating with the Gentiles left and right and rejoicing in the goodness of God who invites everyone into this new covenant. That's part of why the Jews were persecuting him so much. I mean, the Jews who didn't believe in Jesus. They were throwing him in prison. And so when the, when the false teachers came to Antioch, yo, Cephas, 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 Cephas. Listen, false teachers, listen. Hey, we're Christians too. And like you, we grew up Jewish, and we're God's chosen people, and we got all that. Aren't you getting tired of being persecuted by the Jews? I mean, we're being thrown in prison, beat up. You know, there's this one guy, Saul. Right? He's the worst. Anyway, like, like, we're being persecuted by all this. Listen, we got, here's a way we can keep everybody happy. Dot, just dial down. We're not saying kick them out, but dial down the whole, like, friendly buddy-buddy with all the Gentiles. Dial down the whole God is for Gentiles thing. I mean, let them in the salvation, obviously. But let them in if they're willing to go through a bit of initiation. You know what I'm saying? Like, let them come in and offer to eat with them if they're willing to eat kosher. You know what I'm saying? Come on, Peter. This is our house, our rules. And if we make them become ethnically Jewish before they can become Christian, then the Jews will stop persecuting us because all we're doing is just the missionary work. We're making everybody Jewish. Then we stop getting persecuted. The Gentiles can still get in, sort of. I mean, it's going to be more painful, but whatever. They'll get in. But then, like, win-win. Peter had a chance in that moment. Peter had a chance to make a real stand, didn't he? He blew it. When those Judaizers told him that, let these Gentiles come in. Just remember, man, they're second class. Now, they can upgrade. They can upgrade to first class. They totally can. Circumcision, kosher laws, and Sabbaths and all that. But until they do, like, I'm just saying, man, they're in coach, right? 
So, so Peter had a chance to make a real stand in front of all those teachers. Oh, how cool would that have been? In front of all those teachers. Peter could, come here, come here. Gathered a group of Gentiles hungry for supper. And he could have sat down right there in the midst of all these unwashed, pagan, unkosher Gentiles who now trust in Jesus. And he could have taken a piece of bread and with hands that the Torah would have said were defiled, had these Gentiles rip open with their, with their defiled, sinning, darkened in their understanding, pagan hands, hands that have been God knows where, doing God knows what, and rip open that bread, right, with all the only thing that says hands of God on them is trust in Jesus. But everything else about them is so pagan, so unkosher, have it ripped open, passed around to bless and be blessed by all those Gentiles to grab a piece of bread in front of the Judaizers, eat it, and while he's eating it, mm, sacrilegious. Mm -hmm. I'll put my life, I'll put my my standing with God on the line here, that it's not how we eat that makes, you wonder why I'm eating with them as if they're brothers. Well, it's because they are. Because the, right the only right they have to be at this table is the same right any of us have to be at this table. We come at his invitation, not because we've proven ourselves worthy. We're all his plus one at this little party. So here's where I see it. You guys can either sit down and eat with us, thus admitting that we're saved. We get right with God by justification, by faith alone. Or you can turn right on around and head on back to Jerusalem. Because on the, on the train to glory, every ticket's first class. Drop the bread or something. I don't know. You, probably, you know what I mean? Right? <laughs> he had a chance to do that. He had a chance to say that. What do you want? The only way in is Jesus. And you think you get in with like, you get in with Jesus, plus you also have like a VIP fast pass area or something. Like, wh- he had a chance to do that. And like a lot of us, because the Judaizers were so powerful, and he said, and they were so, you know, there was such pressure, he, um, he failed to do that. And because he failed to do it, Peter was a power player, and this is where it gets bad. Because he failed to do it, it's like all the dominoes started following. The rest of the apostles were like, well, we usually kind of do whatever, like, Peter does, because he seems to, like, get this thing right. And then even Barnabas, even Barnabas. And so it's like God used a domino that was, you know, he used great force to stop this. And the great force was Paul, and it was in verse 14 and following. And Paul says, but when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas in front of everyone. That's, that, that's Bible speak for I got up in his face. <laughs> if you who are a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? And I think if only he had said something we could understand. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But like, you know, it's like this climactic moment. And you're like, what? Uh, <laughs> that's true for the rest of these verses today. Uh, it, it, here's, here's what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. Peter, Peter, Peter. <laughs> You are known, I mean, you are known as this Jew who suddenly followed Jesus, had this revelation about how we're made right with God, and you threw off all these old kosher laws to welcome all these Gentiles in, realizing we're not saved by obedience to the kosher laws. You were known to a lot of people who wanted to persecute you. You were known as like the Jew who lives like a Gentile. And you know what? We were so proud of you, man. We were so proud of you. Everybody here who's out following Jesus, you are a rock star, man. Like you, 
Don't you see the hope you put into the Gentiles? You were the, you were the Jew who lived like a Gentile. And every time you lived like the Gentile, it was like you were telling the world, God does not approve of us based on our ceremonial laws or our circumcision. He's done a new thing in Jesus. We were so proud of you. Now what? Now what? You're going to go all 180 on that? Now you're gonna now what you're gonna make all the you're comp, you're gonna compel the Gentiles if they want to eat with you they now have to live like Jews. What happened to you, man? You were on fire. It's like Paul's telling Peter, "Come on, man. <laughs> Come on, seriously, like Peter, what what are you thinking? You so what? We're gonna put a brand new legalism on the on the Gentiles? Oh, is that what we're gonna do? Oh, that's what we're gonna do. So 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 Christ fulfilled the law." But now, for all the Gentiles, we're going to give them, like, Mount Sinai 2.0. And we're going to see how they do with it. Maybe we'll give them the 11 commandments, see if they knock those out of the park. Because we did so well with them, right? Is that it? Come on, Peter. Come on, man. That's really what he's saying. Then he expands on it. He says, we who are Jews by birth. This is where the big theology comes in. We who are Jews by birth and not these quote-unquote Gentile sinners... We know that no one is justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. He's saying, we of all people should know this. You're not going to be justified by the works of the law, but justified by faith alone. Okay, I said last week multiple times, and I don't think I've said it yet, but I said last week, at some point, we have to get a handle on what in the world does the phrase justified by faith mean? It's one of those things that you talk about enough, and you just sort of assume everybody knows what it means, you know? And you hear it, and if you hang around in church a long time, eventually you're like, yeah, justified by faith alone. What's that mean? It's that pizza. So, you, you know... <laughs> You start to realize, like, wait a minute, what does this mean? And even, like, I'm a preacher, and I'm looking at this, like, well, justified by faith alone. That, I mean, that, that clearly, oh, boy, I don't know. So you start reading this stuff. You start thinking about it, and now's a good time as any. What is justification? Justification, here it is. If you want Tom's simple definition of justification. It's not simple, but at least it's short. Justification is the legal act by which God declares guilty sinners as having the righteousness of Christ. Okay? That's it. Justification, it comes from a, a court term where a judge knows this guy's guilty but treats him as if he's innocent and gives to him all the rights and benefits of the innocent one. Hmm? That's justification. Justification is when God looks at a guilty sinner and says, I declare you innocent. He does that because when Jesus died on the cross, all the penalty for sin was paid and all this righteousness, this, see, not only like forgiveness, he forgives of all sins, but now Jesus has all this perfect righteousness. He, he never did anything wrong. And so at the cross, it's like this two-way transfer. All of our sins were laid on Jesus at the cross, and all of the righteousness of Jesus Christ laid on all who believe. How do you get that justification? Believe he's just that generous. If you believe he's just that generous, that's, 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 that's faith, justification by faith alone. Uh, if you want a little more, I brought a little more, if you want it. Uh, I brought a definition from a current theologian who, to me, Okay, when you talk about justification by faith, John Piper is to the doctrine of justification what Hank Aaron was to hitting home runs. It's just kind of what he does. 
for those of you who aren't into sports, John Piper is the justification what Barishnikov is to what, uh, bowling, right? Uh, to whatever he did. So I'm just going to read to you an interview John Piper did on justification. Here's, here's John Piper just riffing. This isn't like even in his book. This is like, this is so deep in his heart. He knows justification by faith. He can just be like, <laughs> wisdom. Did you just cough out wisdom? Here's what he says. In the New Testament, justification is the moment or the event when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And at that moment, God is no longer against you. He's for you. He counts you as acceptable, forgiven, righteous, obedient because of your union with Christ. You are perfectly acceptable to God and he is totally on your side. Right? Home runs, right? That's all he does. Yeah. At that, and this is just him riffing. He says, at that moment, you're declared con- constituted just even though you're ungodly. Romans 4.4 4 says the justification of the ungodly. Romans 3.28 says we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So that's a general gist of the doctrine. And he says, I regard it as a matter of life and death. I'm still quoting from Piper. Luther regarded it as the doctrine the whole church hangs on. It's the moment and means by which we pass from being under the enmity of God to being under the favor of God, from being utterly unrighteous and damnable to being counted righteous in Christ by God so that he's our father and he's totally for us. That's what's at stake. So how do you move from being on the wrong side of God to the right side of God? And the answer is, this is back to us, the answer is childlike trust in Jesus. Have you transferred your trust you know we're all looking for salvation some people don't even know they are secular salvation right they don't know it they think they're looking for a great job and a house in the suburbs or or to be transcendent through their art or music don't they know they're looking for salvation and then some religious people look for salvation if i do everything right and i cross all the t's and dot all the i's have you transferred your trust on who's going to save whom here into the arms of jesus through simple childlike faith the moment that happens justification that you believe in Jesus to be your once-for-all Savior. That's justification by faith. So you think, okay, okay, then why in the world would somebody, I mean, that makes so much sense. And the Jews of all people would know that, like, you can try to follow the law, and you're not going to have that assurance of salvation. You of all people know that. So why in the world would people come in and try to add to that? You ever think about that? Like, why Galatians, you know? Why would somebody come in? That sounds so beautiful. I mean, I even heard people like start to clap when we said that you're you're seen as acceptable, forgiven, righteous, and obedient. He he has declared that to you. The old-fashioned word, he imputed righteousness to you, not imparted, because that would mean literally you became like perfect the instant you were saved. We all know that's not true, but the righteousness is imputed to you. That's awesome. Why would you add to that? I tried to think of why you would add to that, and the best I came up with was this illustration. Some illustrations are awesome, but you stole them, you know? You plagiarized them. You got them. Other illustrations are lame, but you made them up. That's, that's this one. Um, <clears throat> trying to lower the bar. Uh, <laughs> say there's this, um, I mean, it could be worse. It could be lame and you stole it. So, I mean, really, we're, we're, we're here's the thing. Uh, ima- oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> imagine there's this zoo. And... Uh, <laughs> And there's, it's glorious, and it's supposed to have all these exotic animals, and it's going to be the most wonderful thing to behold you've ever seen. And there's this gracious zookeeper, and he has found all these animals and takes care of them and, 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 and 
puts them on display for everybody. And here's the deal. You save and you scrimp and you work so hard and all your friends work so hard and you finally have enough money to travel halfway around the world to go to the zoo and you've got your ticket to the zoo and you've put everything you have into earning your right to go into the zoo and the day you get there, the guy at the gate's like, oh, oh, our zookeeper, uh, like, he just said, like, anybody could come in. Anybody who believes, like, the goodness of the zookeeper can just waltz in, right? What's your reaction in that moment? Based on your reaction, you'll understand justification by faith and why it upsets so many people. Because how many of you, as soon as you heard that, would go, hallelujah, he's more gracious than I ever thought. Not only do I get to experience the beauty of all this, but everyone does. The zookeeper is awesome. All glory to the zookeeper, right? Or how many of you were born in New York and you think instead, <laughs> how many of you, your first thought when I told that story was, oh no, they don't, right? Oh no, they don't. I, I paid for mine, right? And so you're already thinking, oh, okay, okay, okay. So it's like that. It's like that. Well, then when we get in there, there better be a clearly delineated like zoo. Then there's zoo premium. Hmm? Then there's like VIP zoo because I earned my way here, right? If you understand that ridiculous illustration that I made up, you understand first century uh, false teachers. And you understand why in the human heart there's this thing like, no, 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 Paul, you going around giving away for free what it's taken our whole life to earn. And you understand Paul with tears in his eyes go, you know how hard it was for me to give up that lifetime of earning? But man, I understand one thing Jesus said. He said, I can't... I, I didn't come to call the healthy, but the sick. And the sick don't, the sick don't, I mean, the healthy don't need a doctor, just the sick. And all I'm looking for is anybody who admit they're sick enough to need Dr. Jesus. And to the sick, I, I'm right there. To the poor, to the broken, in a way, it's almost like blessed are you who are poor. Because you won't be tricked into thinking you don't need me. Poor, you'll get this a little quicker, you know, maybe. So he, he's saying, I know, I know, I had to put that to death. I know. I get how hard that is. And there's another thing, and it's a slight tangent, but we have to take it because the scriptures take us there. Paul, he knows what people are thinking. The other thing, he knows what people are thinking. He thinks, oh, okay, okay. So you're just going to preach grace and not law. You know what's going to happen, Paul. He knows this because he's been accused of it in other letters. You start preaching grace, people are going to abuse grace. And when we look at the life of these people who are following justification by faith alone, we're going to see them, and we're going to find out they're sinners. So Paul, like anybody, in, remember in English Comp 101, you were told, anticipate the objections of your opponent before they ask him, get out ahead of him a little bit. That's all he's doing. He's saying, all right, all right. If, okay, if we ourselves are also found to be sinners while seeking to be justified by Christ, is Christ then a promoter of sin? See, that's what they were accusing them. They're saying, okay, okay, if you preach justification in Christ alone, and then people start abusing grace and sin, and theoretically, you've made Christ an enabler of sin. So what you need to do is set aside all this grace preaching. Set aside, because if you just preach grace, 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 people are going to abuse it, right? Which, ironically, if it, <laughs> grace is the only thing that can be abused. You can't abuse the law. The law will crush you. And no abusing the law. Of course it can be abused. That's kind of what makes it grace. Anyway, uh, he's, so what they're saying is set aside the grace of God and just add a little bit of law because that'll keep everybody's behavior managed. That'll keep everybody reined in a little bit. Otherwise, you're making Christ an enabler of sin. And he writes back, absolutely not. 
which is the same thing he says in Romans 6. God forbid. You know when they asked him, well, I mean, if grace, is, if grace forgives sin, should we keep sinning so that we get more grace? And he's saying, come on, absolutely not. And he gives this cryptic response. For if I rebuild the system I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. Here's what I think he means. He's saying, the old structures of the law never retained human sinfulness. You ever notice that? They didn't, they didn't work. In fact, if anything, they like sort of incited sinfulness. So the, so the real lawbreaker, the real crime would be to rebuild a new law, a Sinai 2.0, a new and improved Torah, and now lay it on the backs of Christians. That would be rebuilding the very system I tore down. That would be the real lawbreaking. And here's why. This is where the symphony comes to the crescendo. And this is Paul. I think Paul at his best Definitely at his most personal. I mean, how can you say the word of God? It's all good. But that, this, is, this, this, I've been crucified with Christ. You just got to understand, part of this is my own story and my own history. So I can't separate how much I love these verses. In a minivan, when I was a little kid, this is probably, within, this is probably the fifth or sixth verse that I ever had to memorize as a kid. So you know what I mean? Me, me and these things go way back. And I, I know it's the same for you too. So here's what he writes. And I think he writes this with tears in his eyes. And I could not think of any way to preach it. So I did what I did with the Ephesians letter. And I just kind of wrote down, here's what I think Paul's saying. Like Eugene Peterson did with the message. He just wrote like in modern day English. And that's what I try to do here. He writes, for through the law, I have died to the law so that I might live for God. Here's what I think he means. In one sense. He means this in a theological way. He's saying the law convicted me and convinced me of my utter inability to get things right. And so my pride, hmm, my sense of earning my standing before God was crushed by the law. My pride in my ability to do the law, my pride was killed by grace. So when I say I've died to the law, what I mean in one sense is theological. I have no more relation to the law. It holds no appeal for me and I'm not going back dead to me but this verse is also biographical he's saying i paul will never forget the day and the circumstances under which i died to the law see i was following the law so zealously that i was on the road to damascus to persecute anyone who would threaten torah and when i met the risen jesus it wasn't like people say it wasn't a glory hallelujah walk in the park it was Labor and delivery. Uh, There was a a, a new birth. He blinded me. And his grace cut so deep into me, I cried out thinking there'd be nothing left of me. If you strip me of all my medals of how well I've earned your approval, what will be left of me? And he was literally blinded on the road to Damascus. I imagine Paul thinking... You know, they they say God can't use a man until he's hurt him deeply, and he blinded me. I spent three agonizing days on straight street before Ananias showed up. And in those three days, I had to lay down, no, better yet, tear down everything I'd worked so hard to build. I had to go from being a religious all-star of the law to a soup kitchen beggar of grace. I'd been telling myself I'd been living for God all those years. I'd been telling myself I'd been living for God that I might live for God. I'd, told, I'd been telling myself I'd been living for God. But really, I was living for the law. And if you look behind that deep, deep down, that means I was technically just living for me. But when Ananias laid hands on me, 
and my world was flooded with light, I knew in that moment I was forever dead to the law and alive to God. So just in case you missed it, let me say it one last way. I've been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, there was a battle brewing between my pride and Jesus, and one of us was going back on that cross to stay. And because of his grace, that approval, worshiping, hate-filled, self-righteous, condemned by the law, yet longing to be approved by the law, prideful old Saul went to the cross, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. And this body you see walking and talking is a power pack that's filled by one fuel, faith. Faith. The most important thing about life is your worldview. And Paul's is a view of faith. Not just faith in general, but a very specific faith, a very personal faith. Faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So no, he concludes, no. No, I do not set aside the grace of God. And then he finishes with, I mean, perfect logic. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. I mean, look, if righteousness had come through the law, Christ died in vain. If there was another way for humans to be made right with God, then we could have saved Jesus a lot of pain and agony and just done it. Start being right with God. Be better. Behave yourself. But there is no other way. And so Jesus, through his pain and agony, saves us. James and I were talking about how hard Galatians is to preach, and I think I know why. Here's why. I believe Galatians is so hard to preach because if Paul were having to lay down a bunch of evil, wicked deeds in order to be alive to God, this would make so much more sense. Do you know what I mean? If, in other words, we would totally understand these verses, right, especially like this one, you know, I've been crucified with Christ, or this one, through the law, I've died to the law, so I might live to God. Listen, if he had said, there was a day, I had a big box of evil and sin, and I burned it. I mean, I burned my stash of, of, uh, you know, explicit content, or I I had a collection of drugs, and and I, I burned it that day, and I never looked back, and I'm alive to God. We'd all be like, makes total sense. Or if he said, I used to be a Satan worshiper and I had a box of, you know, paraphernalia of the occult. And that day that I burned it, I was dead to that stuff. And I never looked back. We'd be like, totally, totally makes sense. Amen. Instead, what's he say? The most valuable thing I had was a box of good deeds. And I had to light them on fire. And everybody's like, yeah, good deeds are what? And the reason the unrighteousness makes so much more sense is because we forget the gospel is not just good news for the sinners to come lay down their unrighteousness. The gospel is also good news for our Pharisees, who you want to be your neighbors, who are marching on their way to Damascus, and for, um, you know, nine-year-old little boys in Kentucky who memorized scripture in the minivan on the way to school to come and lay down their self-righteousness. And everybody can come and take up the righteousness of Christ. And nobody but Paul and Jesus know how hard it was 
for him to say goodbye to everything he put his hope in and his trust in, those self-righteous good deeds. And it's like the law was trying to condemn him, and the law saying, fine, you want to burn us? You'll be dead to us. You're dead to us, Paul. You're dead to us. How's it going to feel to stand before God with no good deeds? And Paul's saying, it's going to stink, but honestly, his good deeds aren't that good. They're powerless to save. And they're keeping me from the thing that's really going to save me, Jesus. So he had to torch that self-righteousness. And now he's got nothing to stand before God but Jesus. And he's leaning. He's all, he is all in on Jesus. You know what I mean? He's betting his whole eternity on Jesus saves and Jesus alone. Because he turned his back on all that self-righteousness. It's just hard. It's hard to, Galatians is hard to preach because it's not about laying down your evil deeds Everybody knows that. Hey, by the way, if you didn't and you're doing evil deeds, come on, bro, lay them down. Sermon over. But it, what, what do you do to people who it's their good deeds? It's their, it's, their, it's their reliance on their good deeds. It's tricky. It's subtle. But for Paul to say, look, I've been crucified with Christ. And yeah, I'm, I'm going to be okay for one and only reason. I believe in the saving generosity of Jesus Messiah. And out of that, oh man, every... Think about it before. Every lifestyle decision, everything he did all day long was obsessed with the external law. What am I doing about the law? And now his whole obsession, the life I now live, his whole obsession is Jesus Christ from the inside out, bearing fruit for the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news, the gospel. We thank you that we can not add or detract to the good news. We thank you, Lord, that the uh, good news comes to us with great implications for how we live each and every day, and I pray that we would ortho walk, we would straight walk in the implications of the gospel. And Father, I pray for anyone who's still relying on either evil deeds or good deeds, that they would lay down those things as a means to salvation. And that our good works would be the result of justification, not a means of earning. That there'd be lots of effort into good works, of course, but that there would be no earning of salvation through good works, and that we would uh, bear fruit from the inside out, not manufacture it through external works of the law. We thank you for the invitation to your table, which we partake of now. We thank you that all who put their faith in Jesus Christ are, by definition, our brothers and sisters, and we thank you that we have a right to this table, not by our own good deeds, but by what you have done for us and our salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to observe the table now, as you heard. So the ushers are going to make their way and begin preparing us to come to the table reverently and properly. The invitation to this simple is pretty much the, I mean, the invitation to this table is kind of the whole point of the sermon I just preached, uh, but uh, if you are here today and you are a believer trusting in the generosity of Savior Jesus, you are welcome at this table. And if you are not yet a believer, you're still on the fence or you're not believing, you don't need to take these elements. You need to take Christ. You need to receive him. And uh, if for you, it's even a, an even a bigger and a more important invitation to receive the Lord Jesus and put your faith and trust in him alone to save. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 11 that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took some bread, and after he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in like manner, after supper, he took the cup, saying, 
This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, he says, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so let's take these moments now as the ushers prepare before it's kind of your turn to come up. I would encourage you to spend these time, spend this time reflecting and meditating. I'll do the same and uh, pondering the, the great gospel that invites us to this day. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.